Hi, I'm Kate Montague. And I'm Jess Binnett. And you're listening to the Audio Craft Podcast, a series of sessions from our 2018 festival recorded on the day by ABC RN. This episode is unpacking blackness in audio. Our moderator, Namila Benson, cooked up the idea for this conversation with our programming committee member, Areej Nur. Namila's worked for two decades across radio, television and digital platforms, sparking vital conversations that explore race, culture and identity politics. These days, she runs media and podcast training workshops and is a producer on ABC RN's Life Matters. Areej Nur is a radio producer, presenter and educator and the co-founder of podcast network Broadwave. Most of Areej's work is about supporting women of colour, particularly black women, making sure that they're at the forefront of discussions about media, art, race and feminism in Australia. Joining Areej in Namilla is Nayuka Gori. She's best known for work that explores themes of race, sexuality and gender in pop culture. A Gunai Kurnaim, Gundich Mara, Wiradjuri and Yorta Yorta woman, Nayuka has written on Australian television shows Black Comedy, Get Cracking and All My Friends Are Racist. She's currently writing her debut book. Angelina Hurley is co-host of Wild Black Women with Dr Chelsea Watigo-Bond on Brisbane's 98.9 FM's Let's Talk program. Her heritage is from Jagara, Gurangurang and Mananjali. She's currently undertaking a Doctorate of Creative Arts at UTS and is working on a pilot for her comedy series. Uh, I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and original sound and audio innovators of this land we meet upon today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to First Nations people from other communities who are with us today as we unpack black identity and how it fits into the audio landscape here in Australia. So I'm going to jump right in with our wonderful panellists here. I mean, folks say that podcasts have democratised the media landscape, but when it comes to the inclusion of black voices across Australia's podcast scene, where are we at? Uh, Do you want me to go? Sure. Uh, I think when a lot of new things start out or when I think think often white fellas are like early adopters because they have the resources to be early adopters. Um, So I think that's probably... Yeah, I don't know how fair that is to say, but I think that is, that's kind of what happened and resources sort of went... Like, a lot of my mates that have their own podcasts are kind of, like, nice white dudes who sort of had the, like had the resources to be able to establish their own stuff. Um, yeah, but I think more and more we're seeing really, really bloody cool stuff that people are making on their own and also as part of radio stations... Um, where there's like autonomy, um, like just recently something I saw, I saw um, mates of mine are doing a podcast on um, like incarceration called the Carceral Complex. So just yeah, people are doing their own really cool stuff. Um, but I guess like in terms of institutional support, I, I don't know enough to be able to say yeah. But anyway, what do you guys reckon? Yeah, um, I agree with you 100% Nuka. I think that what it is about podcasting is that there is this assumption that because if you buy a recorder then it's automatically accessible and that's like completely false and just in the same way that all kind of structural inequality within any kind of media sector whether it is like com- community media or you know the national broadcaster or commercial or whatever those exist with in different ways within podcasting and it's very very clear that um people of color particularly black people in this country really don't have that much access to that space and so for my introduction to podcasting was through community radio and you know producing a show that was pre-recorded on 3cr community radio in melbourne which does a great job Mm. Um, and is one of the community radio stations that really fosters this process of putting together pre-recorded stuff and sending it over to the the, um, community radio network. And so that was my introduction to podcasting. So I was supported by this community radio station that's really special in the way that they support Mm -hmm. black people, um, people of colour, and... I think that is the reason why I felt empowered to be able to engage with podcasting. Outside of that, I definitely wouldn't be here. And it's actually done in a way too where it's not wrapped up in this hugely problematic word, which is diversity, where, you know, people 
what is our normal is actually seen when it comes to sound and content making as niche. And I think that that's hugely problematic as well. So when those structures actually make space to not kind of roll us out as part of diversity, but hey, we actually are bringing something really valuable to the craft of sound and doing it with our perspectives in a way that any white person would do it without them having to necessarily have elements of their identity drawn from them or forced from them. I think it's worth noting that Aboriginal people have a really long history of radio. Like, in terms of... I don't think we can say, like, oh, we, we don't exist or we haven't been there. There's a huge tradition, on, yeah. like, yeah, all over communities all around the country. That's... But yeah, that kind of transition from radio to podcast, I don't know what, yeah, what is missing there. And yeah. Angelina? Yeah, I work at community radio and... Um, yeah, that's how our show came to be in the most... Not everyone can always listen to it live every week, but podcast is really a huge audience. So it was a surprise to me, sounding like an old, old girl going, podcast, really? Um, but, um, and we broadcast out to and help Indigenous communities all over Queensland um, in small community radio stations. So they, um, it's, the, it's, the, it's the resourcing thing. The young ones definitely are savvy and have the technology and <laughs> they know how to do that stuff, but it's the accessibility and resources available made to Indigenous communities to be able to produce that stuff. Mm, mm. And we know the resources that get poured into uh, podcasting, doing any, any sort of a podcast requires so much uh, in terms of the labour that's attached to it. I guess we can't talk Australia and podcasting without talking racism. And I'm just wondering, when it comes to the national podcasting <coughs> sector, um, here in Australia, do you think we actually know how to engage in conversations about blackness? Because I feel like people want to hear the conversations, but the powers that be that could actually fund these conversations, there's always a little bit of trepidation about handing over the mic for especially First Nations stories to be told and not guided in any way or not supervised in any way. What are your thoughts? There's a huge difference between running your own shit and then being a guest person on someone else's thing. Um, I think for blackfellas, there's this assumption, this kind of racist assumption, um, often producing our own stuff or people handing over money that we're, we're not going to do things properly. There's, and we can look at it politically through our history. So an organisation like ATSIC, for example, um, they had to get they had to get um, their finances audited. Like, it was a very politicised issue and it turns out most of the money was, you know, if not, like, 99 or high 90s was... The money was being allocated fine, but there was this assumption that because they were black, they weren't spending the money properly. And I think that kind of attitude, like, seeps through into production. There's this, yeah, assumption that we just... I think in terms of institutional support and backing, people are afraid to give black people stuff because they think we don't have the capacity to do it. But I don't know if that's true. I don't think that's true. I think we're pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> but I am biased. <laughs> I think it's more about handing over power. They don't yeah. want to do it. Yeah, from, from my experience, non-Indigenous audiences, if I can say the non-Indigenous word, um, <laughs> they're busting for it. They're dying for the content and the information. And we get really good feedback from people when we think we're offending them all the time. And we go, like, okay, they were fine with that. Um, it's the, it's the gatekeepers, so to speak. Yeah. It's the barrier, the hurdle in between, the bureaucracy that stops that stuff from reaching people who actually we find really want to hear it. Mm. Mm. And like, what's wrong with offending people? Like, if you're white and you offend people, that's actually probably pretty good for your career, at least in this country. <laughs> um, like, yeah, it's just when... So at the Armitage. Like, there are, that's... Uh, you know, no, there are, there are people who make a lot of money off of offence, um, but when you're actually challenging, like, something like whiteness or patriarchy or whatever the power structure is, then, yeah, that's when it becomes... That's when people, yeah, kind of feel really uncomfortable. And I think the inability to acknowledge power dynamics can really lead to some very uncomfortable conversations. I actually want to play a snippet of an interview you did a couple of years ago, uh, Nuyuka, where a white male interviewer kind of flipped the script a little bit to reveal his fragility. Um, what I actually can hear her saying is, 
Can you acknowledge it? Acknowledge that I'm... That what? That you've got white privilege. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And can you acknowledge But, but that's what not my... I don't feel like that's my personal fault. But when you do that's that... That's the whole notion of privilege, though, mate. You've done nothing to earn it. But if you know that it exists and you know that you benefit from it and you want to do good in the world, then surely you have a responsibility to dismantle it and call it out, even if it's in yourself. Okay. And you're failing to do that right it's, now. Well, because I suppose when, it's relative to my circle of friends. When you say when you don't, what it, what it does is creates that you disregard what the other view is. Okay. So maybe it's a lesson. It's, it's, to be honest, it's down to my experience. Yeah. I have equal a number of white, black, this Asian friends. This is so awesome. It's happening right now. Yeah, this is actually great. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I hope, you, I hope you guys crucify me as good for the listeners. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm just wondering, Nuka, I mean, how did being a part of that interview, so that was the collective potential interview that you did back in 2016, and what did that teach you about entering into white spaces, because you were completely outnumbered, it was three presenter, non-Aboriginal presenters, I guess what it taught you about handing up the expectation which is a huge part of whiteness, to hand over your black story and your black experience. Did it switch things up for you after doing that interview? So, yeah, a mate actually... The reason why I did it was because a mate asked me to do it. Um, He was one of the white dudes in there, not the one I was talking to in that um, snippet. Um, And so I just assumed that because it was a mate that it was going to be a safe space um, and that people weren't going to be so stupid. Um, (laughs) And I also assumed, um, so I made a lot of assumptions here, not, it's not my fault obviously, but I assumed that because there was a woman of colour who kind of ran things, I thought that, yeah, she would be on top of that sort of stuff, but it was excruciating. The thing that I've learned is um, don't do those sort of things. Just like, it's not, I get paid, I often get paid to write and I think like there's enough education in there to not have to do it in my personal life. Um, So if people want to learn, they can read the stuff that I'm paid to do and then, yeah, I don't have to give that shit out for free. Um, But also the, the, it was a learning moment in that like just how fragile white men are and just he ended up crying. I don't know if that's in it. He was crying. He cried to me. This was a week. This was around the period of time. I think. Um, I don't know if stuff around Elijah Doherty had happened yet in WA. Um, there was an yeah. There was that series about um, just a lot of things were happening in the community that were affecting a lot of us, um, and I was yeah in a really kind of hurt place at the time because. Black people feel we feel each other's pain. Like we're a small community, so we feel each other's pain. And then I had this white fellow crying, crying to me. I was like, "You need to fucking toughen up." Like, <laughs> no, you know, like not in a be a you know masculine macho stuff, but like you need to deal. Yeah, it's not my problem to deal with that anyway. Mm. So just I learned to not just don't. Don't entertain... We don't have to entertain... We don't have to entertain anybody. Like, we don't have to do that. I should have just said no. Mm. Well, I actually want to play another snippet with the same guy where you're having to explain uh, privilege and oppression to him. And you can... Again, I think you can hear the uh, discomfort from the other presenter in this as well. Like, me, Nayuka, I'm, I'm aware that in some ways I'm very oppressed, but in other ways I also have privilege... So I know that and I use it to break shit down. So I think, yeah, anyway. Mm, mm, that's great. I think I can, I can take ownership and I'm convicted by what you say in the sense that I'm in Australia, I'm on this land, where did this land come from? And respecting and acknowledging that, I can take accountability for it because the way you phrase it then is like, uh, it's my duty to. Yeah, I love this. Does that, does that um, resonate with you? Like, is that enough? How do you think, Nyuka, you would handle that today? Because you... Like, it was so much kindness <laughs> that you gave his stupidity and his ignorance and his deep disrespect. 
if you were in that situation today, um, you know, like having done an interview like that and stepping into a space in the podcasting sphere here in Australia, um, I mean, I was so surprised that you didn't walk out because there were, he gave you so many, like there were many places you could have just said, you know what, I'm out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I wouldn't be in the room next, like there wouldn't ever be a next time. But if I was, yeah, back in that position, um, it's just really hard. And something if you're white, you don't understand um, is that when you're, when you're angry as a black person, like the way that you express your anger has to be really palatable and it has to be really nice or else you're just this crazy Aboriginal lady. Like, it is so fucking hard to go off because otherwise you're just another angry black person. And so in that moment, I was like, if I just lose it, like, I want to call this dude a white cunt, but I can't do that because if I did that, like, I look bad and then all these other Aboriginal people look bad. So, like, it, it's hard to know what I would do because I want to say I'd like to think, and as I often do on Twitter now, I'd like to think I'd tell them to fuck up, but I don't know if I would do that. It's just so hard to be angry. And, like, I, yeah, they shouldn't have put me in a position where I was angry and had to represent everyone, but... Yeah, just, and that's why I love wild black women because yes. you two just go off and it's like the bet, like it is therapeutic to, yeah, like the, there was one you did last year, the um, countdown one, like of shitty men. And I was just like, yes, it, yeah. <laughs> like black anger is so beautiful and we definitely need more of it in the world, I think. And you know, that black anger, especially when it comes to women, is tied in with the name of your podcast, Angelina, Wild Black Women. Do you have to deal with a lot of fragility with the kind of conversations you and Chelsea hold? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's funny, Chelsea's the academic. <laughs> I'm still doing a 20,000 year PhD. But um, so Chelsea takes it on from a different perspective and it's like, you know, the comedy team and, and I'm the um, funny part of it. But <laughs> she's like, when am I supposed to call you auntie? Because like, I said, I'll let you know, I'll, let, I'll tell you. Because I, I just feel like I've been through this stuff a little bit and I'm too old for this crap now. And so if you listen to our show, it's just me laughing at it all the time because I think racism is archaic, it's absurd, it's immature, and I just can't believe people live in that bubble anymore. It's, but it doesn't surprise me. I'm from Queensland. We got Pauline Hay. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so I'm laughing at it all the time. My take on it is just like, this is absolutely ridiculous and I'm not going to take stupid questions and stupid dialogue and that sort of offence seriously anymore. I'm just not going to accommodate it. And let's hear a snippet from Wild Black Women where you actually read out a um, complaint letter sent in by a listener. <laughs> the females on this talkback segment took great joy at dissing <laughs> don't look at me <laughs> at white fellas yet they seem to think they are untouchable <laughs> in the sense that being Aboriginal they have free reign to laugh <laughs> and make fun of white people on the radio <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> apparently it is okay for them to do that to white people. The only difference is white people don't have free reign to verbally abuse Aboriginals. That's my favourite bit. <laughs> Enough already. Lowercase a. Yeah, lowercase a. <laughs> Any more spelling errors there? No, anyway. Um, enough already. <laughs> How about talking about something else? You're coming across as biased. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> Did you hear back from the listener again? Oh yeah, she's one of our favourites. She, um, <laughs> she. <laughs> well, we started the show. It was just re really organic and spontaneous, and I. And Chelsea was looking for people to interview and, she's, and I came back from Melbourne or something and she said, when are you going to come in and talk on the radio? And so I said, I don't know, I don't do anything, what do you want me to talk about? And I was like, oh, 
Anyway, as we do, we get like, you know, distracted into another story. So I started telling her something about something that pissed me off. She goes, that's a show. Come in and just tell me what pissed you off this week. And it's turned into <laughs> wild black women. We would just look at the news, watch stupid TV. Auntie tells us something in the street. And, and, and it, it, yeah, it just took off. And so she, um, that was early stages at the beginning last year. And she used to actually take a lot of her time. I don't know what she did for a job because she was on email. <laughs> she used to ring up the station. She used to respond on social media, complaining about us all the time. And, you know, that ain't going to work. It's kind of extraordinary, actually, that sense of entitlement that whiteness feels they have over black stories and just black ways of expressing. And I'm wondering, you know, because when you're brought into uh, an overwhelmingly white space and expected to hand over stories and, and share your insights and experiences, you still, to a certain point, have to um, keep it polite. You know, there's a, a lot of tone policing that goes on. I'm wondering how you see stereotypes and misconceptions of blackness kind of limit our opportunities in the podcasting sphere. What are your thoughts on that, Arage? Um, I think, firstly, like in Australia, blackness is something that's really, it's complex, right? Like there are people from different backgrounds who identify as black in Australia and that is a big um, complexity. For me, I can speak to being um, African and specifically East African in Australia and there is a type of way to be African in Australia, right? And there is an expected way to be African in Australia and it is, it's, a, it's an interesting merge between being African American and also being um, someone who's arrived in Australia as a refugee and also a little bit of a merge of kind of like African gangs. And so all of these three things, you are either, and this is something that Naya Doll, who is um, gonna start a po podcast with Broadway <laughs> called um, Legally Black talks about, and she says there's kind of two kind of polar ways. You're either that really exceptional African who will be interviewed about how exceptional you are. Like, oh my, like, I can't believe that you're a journalist. Oh my, like, I actually just can't believe that you um, are, are a lawyer. Like, oh, whoa, that's unbelievable. Tell me about what it's like to be a lawyer. And it's like, are you joking? There's so many people that are lawyers. <laughs> or you're, uh, you're the African that is expected to be all of kind of the negative things, right? And so I find it really hard um, and something that I'm still working through, working within audio, whether it's within um, community radio, independent podcasts, or wh wherever I, whatever space I happen to occupy, because unless I have complete ownership about the way that the story is going to be told, I, there will be no chance that I will include people from my community in those stories, because I just don't trust that they're going to be given the respect um, and the depth and the nuance that they deserve. And not just my community, I reckon communities of colour broadly. And that's really hard because what you want to do when you're in those spaces is to showcase the amazing stuff that your crew does and the like mundane stuff that your crew does and the topics that they excel in because they're academics, but also the conversations that, that we're having all the time. But you don't want that conversation to be had with someone that actually has no idea and will not actually acknowledge or respect or take any value from what they're bringing. And so then you're in this weird position because it's like you've got, unless you do it yourself, which is so much labour and you don't want to have to constantly be doing that, you feel a sense of protection over your people because you know that the stories have really, very rarely been done justice. So it is, it's, it's really hard and I still don't know how to do it. Yeah. Do you want to add to that, Angelina? Like, um, I guess the expectation, I don't know if you've been interviewed um, on, say, radio shows um, that are hosted predominantly by white folks, but I guess the expectation to kind of tame down a little bit on your blackness and the way you speak to certain issues. Yeah, I'm the worst person to actually ask to try to do that. <laughs> but there is... And historic, there just is for Aboriginal women and women of colour, there's this expectation that you have to be submissive and subservient and, and polite, you know, and, and you know, I'm the daughter of a, of a mother who comes from a mission and lived under the White Australia policy and the Act, and so, you know, they were domestics, and so even they still to this day, there's a little bit of that, not that I... Um, ever choose to behave like that, but I'm still, you know, a fearful inside me that I'm going to offend my mother, 
you know, mm. and the mm. aunties and that sort of stuff. So, because that's been so, you know, um, drummed into them mm. that, um, you know, because that sort of fear historically came from children being removed and stuff like that. So they're still scared about how you talk to white people and what you say to them and the conversations you have with them. And it's mm. taken a very long time for me to just not give it anymore, mm. you know? Mm. Like, I don't have a right to have a voice. I don't have a right to get angry about something or, you know, respond to something's stereotype or constant, yeah. you know, misinformation yeah. that goes on around our people all the time. Yeah. Blackness is simultaneously voraciously consumed um, and also actively erased, including on podcasts. And culturally and racially, black discussions are inevitably... Cons they're there and they're consumed by whiteness. So I'm wondering, um, with that in mind, how much does that factor into what you're willing to share online? It's hard... We have, like, a, the part, you know, a lot of colonisation was to, like, steal our stuff and take our stories and, you know, place them, like, wildly out of context. And, like, when you tell people something sacred and you shouldn't climb it, they'll go and climb it, you know? So it's, it's yeah, I think there's some stuff that you just want to keep to yourself I think or keep with yeah. your people or, and some stories that you can't like yeah just some stories that just can't be told I mm. think um, yeah and then if you it's like on one hand you want to celebrate blackfellas and like I love that what you were just saying about the <coughs> mundane stuff like we are a very mundane people often like there's <laughs> you know like the way that I don't know the way that like Nan likes her coffee or and has like 10 of them a day or you know there's those little really mundane but really cute black things and it's just yeah what happens when people know about our culture and like what do they do with it and just take it out of context I don't know mm. but then you also want visibility so yeah. that's what do you do mm. I guess the thing for me at the moment is that um like a couple of things firstly I think currently um black culture is pop culture, right? And has become pop culture, not because black people want it to become pop culture, but because non-black people feel entitled to it. And that's not just white people, like non-black people of color as well, right? Um, and secondly, I feel like there is this thing, and I don't know, I feel like maybe I'm just a little bit a negative person, but I feel like currently there's this wave, and in particular with, with my community, with African communities, in particular in Melbourne at the moment, there's this kind of wave of like hot stuff. Like we're kind of hot at the moment, and like you see lots of images on like, you know, posters and stuff of Africans or dark skinned Africans, and there's lots of funding, like funding rounds at the moment in like, you know, Creative Victoria, whatever, like these big kind of institutions that are like, okay, let's actually focus on Africans because of African gangs. Like that's, that's the reason. And so for me, I worry so much because what happens is um, in this process, and I don't know if this is something that will not exist any lot, like after a while, but I feel like in this process, we give so much and we share so much and then I feel like in a moment will be yesterday's news and then our community is kind of left to deal with the fact that, that we're not going to have this access in any way and what that, what that might actually mean for us. So I, there's, a, there's a lot there, there's a lot there, you know, and so I worry um, for us at the moment that maybe people are covering our issues a lot in the media and whether that's just Africans in Australia or like black people from the diaspora, Africans from the diaspora elsewhere. It's really interesting at the moment. Whether or not that is going to remain, I don't know. And um, I really think that the way for it to be thoughtful is, is for us to do it. And for it to be a genuine thing, because it can't be a phase when it's you, right? It can't be a phase when it's your own people yeah. doing your own shit. Um, but it can be a phase of it's people who are not invested in you doing it. Yeah. It's also hard because black people, like, are really cool. <laughs> and I, I, like... Totally. Yeah, like, no, there is, like... I don't know what, like, so... It, I often feel like there's social... This weird social capital tied to being yeah. a black person. Mm. Yes. Where, like... Even if it's so, 
what it means is often black people are used or black bodies specifically are used as props to make things look cool yeah. when which is you know black people are hot and whatever i went to solange last night i don't know if anyone else was there but <laughs> the black people turned up and like made it what it was so yeah i don't I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. No, Black people but, are cool and hot. No, you're right. No, but that's the thing, though. No, that's exactly and it, then, right, though, yeah. right? Black people are cool and hot, and that's why, like, hip-hop culture is pop culture. That's why hip-hop music is the most exciting and the most popular music around the world. There isn't, like, there are films and all of this stuff, and there is no denying that. But at the same time, you're both extremely visible and not as individuals as, like, a cohort of black people, mm. but you're incredibly underrepresented in like meaningful spaces and I think that that is or in not necessarily meaningful spaces but in meaningful ways and that is like central to like racism even well like if you look at Black Panther they cancelled like cancelled the comic book series and then they must be I mean they're probably going to reboot it because they've realized there's like money to be there's black money and you like black people are cool and black people will turn up for their shit they'll turn up seven times to watch Black Panther you know like there's and it's like once you become a commodity, then you're only as useful, you know, insofar as you're making money for someone. Yeah. And, you know, commodifying black bodies, particularly within uh, the labour market, is just, you know, we know that how common it is and how prevalent it is. But I'm thinking of what you said, Arej, about the labour that we bring to all the spaces that we turn up in and, you know, how you ultimately end up as a black person because you want to create the change that you want to see. You're bringing in people. So you're doing the not only your job that you're paid to do, but you're doing the job of HR. You're doing the job of training. Like, just... And then, still, we're not hosting spaces or you're bringing in friends and family for guesting, you know, where they're not going to be completely thrown under a bus by the white presenter, but sort of looking at all of that kind of stuff. I mean, talk about the labour, I guess, that each of us bring to our uh, crafts and our practice. Tiring just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But it is, you know, like, it doesn't matter what job you do, you're expected to be the educator, you're expected to be the, the Indigenous know-it-all of, you. do you know, you know, silly questions like, you know, oh, do you know someone from Western Australia? No, I wasn't born there, don't know anybody really, but I do know of people, but just yeah. everything from that stupidity to, you know, oh, you know, now you can help us with our rap and, you know, yeah. let's instill culture. Do you know anyone who can do cultural awareness? And you just become the... <laughs> You know, the, go yeah, the go-to person for everything. Um, and, uh, you know, within my family and my culture, there's a, there's a process of respect and trust that you have to go through growing up through your culture and your people before you get be allowed to have that privilege of giving information out to people. Mm, so yes. I'm very wary. I don't just give stuff freely. You know, and there's this expectation from non-Indigenous people and organisations that I work in where they're just... You're out of, you, you, you're used to being allowed to have it quickly and without any, you know, negotiation or authority. And, and I can't do that, mm. you know? So yeah. it's hard. It's a hard, it's a hard um, thing to balance when you're in, in, in those positions. Yeah. Nyuka, did you want to add to that? Yeah, there's definitely people, I, I think, yeah, expect you to be this representative of all of the Aborigines. Like, I'm barely representing myself, um, <laughs> you know? Like, and, yeah, I don't... And now it also gets to the point where sometimes I've put... Like, someone will come to me and be like, oh, do you know anyone who can do this, blah, 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 blah. And I'll be like, oh, you know, this could be a really cool opportunity for my black friends, so I'll put their name forward. And then, you know, that person being mistreated or whatever or, like... Yeah, so it's... I don't know... And it's that whole thing as well of kind of the uh, limited white imaginings of what blackness is supposed to be, where you kind of step in and I find it's only to talk about things kind of related to trauma, really, and that's it. Yes, yeah. People, yeah, people want, like, sad black stories. Yeah. Or there is that exceptionalism, like, you know, the... You know, despite your debilitating Aboriginality, you've made it, you know? Like... And so there's that exceptionalism, but then they also... We're also expected 
um, I remember talking to a mate last year about it, um, talking about applications, um, applications in a university for like scholarships or that sort of thing. And most black people um, wrote like stories of trauma and why they'd, you know, what they'd overcome to be there. Whereas a lot of gubbas, white fellas, migaloos are like, you know, I, I should just be here. But we are socialised to have to share trauma that we have to like, we have to like talk about what we've overcome. Like it's like that's the only place where your value is and your worth to be brought into this public space. Mm. So, yeah, just constantly expected to talk about sad, bad things. But so actually, like most of being black in our own communities is like really fun and mm. awesome mm. and like hilarious and great food. And, yeah, yeah. you know, like it's really, life's really good, but people just want that like... And particularly, so I write, I'm mostly a writer, like work with a written word and people really love like editors or people really try and commission stories that are like, you know, something will be happening in the zeitgeist and they'll want you to talk about your trauma with that thing. And I think it's just something they expect of black people to like share trauma all the time. Mm. It's like, no, I, I don't want to do that. Why do you want personal stories? Black people are capable of being experts. We don't just have to specialise in the personal story or the yeah. personal narrative. We can talk about statistics. We, you, can, you know, we have PhDs. We can do that too. Mm. Anyway. I said to someone, I was writing some story, someone was talking to me and they said, you know, yeah, they wanted me to, I was telling a story about my nan and they wanted me to focus on the, the fact that she was like, like poor and had eight kids and was a widow and all of that sort of stuff and I was just telling a funny story about her and I'm like, <laughs> like she doesn't need to be represented like that and I did not want to disrespect her like that because that's not how I remember her. She was a funny woman, we tell stories all the time and you know, I don't corroborate my way to the bus stop every day. I walk <laughs> like everybody else. <laughs> I don't. I have shoes, I got an umbrella and I catch the bus. Like, you know, just like throwing sand down like, on the ground to you know, <laughs> That sort of stuff. You know, I might be sitting on the bus by myself because no one will sit next to me, but I get it. No, that is a blessing. I'm <laughs> always like, The one good thing about racism is that we don't have to share seats with nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I know. I live, like, I say I live in Ascot in Brisbane, which is supposed to be, like, is a bit of an affluent... Um, Bougie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I don't because there's a cul-de-sac called Doombin that's near the race course. <laughs> So I actually live in Doombin, thank you very much. And <laughs> but there's um, because it's near the airport too, a lot of um, immigrants come off and actually spend their first ever days in the in these hotels and houses around the suburb. Anyway, cut a, trying to cut a long story short, I jump on the bus all the time with um, Indians, Africans, everyone who comes in. But I notice every day because we have to go through the rich suburb in the bus. And there's always three seats vacant next to the Indian man, next to the African woman and next to me. And so we never say anything, but we started a bet and we look at each other to see who's getting the... <laughs> every morning. So, like, the other day, the Indian guy won five bucks. He turned around with a big grin on his face. He was like... <laughs> I'm like, damn! He got someone sit next to him first. <laughs> Areej, I'm going to jump over to you because you mentioned Nyadol before and I guess uh, the whole thing with blackness is that we don't have the privilege to just talk about our singular experience and, you know, you're representative on top of, you know, on behalf of your entire race and community. And she had mentioned about how she is used as the exceptional African and she is used against her own community as, well, she's doing great, why can't you? Is that something you experience uh, within the sound sphere? Um, yeah, I do. So often um, I am asked... Like, A, like, how long have you been broadcasting? And what they really mean is, like, how long have you been broadcasting outside of community radio, right? And, and more specifically, how long have you been broadcasting outside of 3CR Community Radio, which is a community radio station that's accessible, is quite accessible more so than lots of other spaces? And that kind of is, that is, like your measure or marker of legitimacy, right? Of like, how easy was it for you to get into this space? Um, and I've learned everything that I've learned in broadcasting, whether I'm doing work, wherever it is, 
because of 3CR. Like everything that I learned was learned at 3CR. And so for me, I get, I do get that all the time of like, yeah, great. So like, you know, I know that you've trained up lots of, you know, young Muslim women or young Africans in, in this thing. Like, but why aren't they, why aren't they, you know, where are their voices? Um, and you're like, I'm, they've actually got, like, there are people broadcasting on 3CR. <laughs> like, there are people at PBS doing music shows. Like, no, people are doing things. And they're like, yeah, but where are they? Like, like why can't they be up in that level of... And, and then you kind of have to think about, like, for me personally, um, what, the space that I enjoy the most is community radio. Like, I love yeah. podcasting. I love being wherever I am or working wherever I work. But community radio is a space where I feel like I can broadcast what I want to broadcast. It's valued by the people who listen and the community is really beautiful. So I guess for me, Namilla, in terms of being considered exceptional, depending on the space, like if I'm in a um, structurally white institution um, and like a quite a wealthy institution, people are impressed by me and wonder where my community, where the rest of my community is and, and why I haven't brought them up with me. Um, and, and we're able to access that space. I know I have been because yeah. my the way I speak is a lot more palatable Absolutely. to whiteness. Like Absolutely. that's been a huge part of my privilege totally. with accessing media. That's exactly it. And I, I work at Melbourne Uni and I've worked in like quite big institutions that, you know, you can, you can make changes within there as much yeah. as possible, but also like... I'm tertiary educated, I've had the capacity, I also have the time, I've had the experience. Um, I went, I grew up among a lot of white people. Like I yeah. went, I live, was born and raised in a suburb that was full of white people. So I do actually have the capacity to code switch in quite mm. seamlessly now. It's really quite impressive. Um, and so, <laughs> so it is, it is, it yeah. is easier. It is easier for me. And they're the privileges that Nayuka was talking about in that podcast of like, yeah, yeah, things are rough. But I guess when you're black or if you're a person of colour or if you experience depression, you can read your privileges much easier than white people can because you acknowledge that like there are ways in which that you, you there are things that you don't have access to so I don't know if that's answered your question yeah. but I do get the exceptionalism mm. a little bit and and I just then run to community radio and love on all the black people on there mm. yeah which is that exceptionalism is super like it's an inherently racist thing to do yeah. like no one's ever being like you know, despite your whiteness, you've really made it or whatever. <laughs> like, people, we don't do that to white followers. We only do it to yeah. anyone or anyone who's any kind, like, any kind of, any kind of thing that is outside of normal, I suppose. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a really weird thing to do. Yeah, so Also, weird. like, it does pit us against our own people. Yeah. It's like, I mean, mm. no, I'm not exceptional. I'm exactly like those other black people. Like, you're just... You're only seeing what you want to see. It's yeah, it's yeah, super because it weird. makes them comfortable. And yeah. I guess like in the audio, you only you only have voices, exactly. so it's like yeah. if you yeah if you don't sound like a nice white person yeah. or whatever yeah yeah. Yep. It's really and that was part of survival for me, to be able to carve out a career that I knew I really loved because I started at 3CR as well. But just being very mindful that, okay, I need to, you know, you can't blackify yourself too much on the airwaves, much as I would have loved to. Um, and I was kind of a solo voice for a long time, you know, like with no other Islander women in the field as well. But, yeah, it's, it's you're so mindful and aware of the fact that you get to a particular point in your career and only a particular particular point I knew that um, and I was actually told that Australia was not ready for me in terms of working with television like that was quite a high up um, executive producer that said that to me you know within um, an institution here in Australia that's very well respected but that's the world that we live in we are going to be, be doing a Q&A so I'm going to prioritize um, people of color if you'd like to ask questions please come down to the front and the lovely Jess will hand you a mic and another thing I want to say too is that after the Q&A, you know, like if we're willing and wanting to answer a question regarding race, we will answer it only in this context and we do not want to talk about it while we're sipping on our orange juice and all that stuff beyond here. So this is your moment to That's ask a question. That's what the podcast's for. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, I had to write it down um, because there was a lot happening with this and I had a million questions. So I want to thank all of you for coming to this as a black American. Um, 
I assume most white I assume most white Australians didn't care about black culture. So to see a room full of white people like actually caring about unpacking blackness in audio, I'm wowed by it. I've been here seven years and I just think it's awesome. So thank you very much for coming. Um, that's that first part. Um, I'm big on actionable tasks. The more I speak to smart, young, woke white people here in Australia and America, I keep hearing them catch themselves and realize how racially insensitive they have been in the past. Um, they aren't racist, but they're kind of in the middle and they may not care about some things that are outside of their race um, or outside of, sorry, outside of their world due to no fault of their own. This is a long one, here we go. What would you say is the single most effective thing through the audio medium, because we're at a podcast festival, that most people of white privilege can do to help equalize the situation? Make space. Create opportunities. If you're going to be talking about anything at all to do with race, identity, or culture, bring in First Nations voices and centre them. And, you know, like the communities that you want to speak to, I think that's a really, yeah, that's what I would say. Outside of that, I think, like, f seek it out because there, there, there is actually a lot of cool stuff happening. Like, people are all around the country. There is a lot of cool stuff. Um, so it's not like there's nothing. There is some really, really cool stuff. So find, seek it out, listen, because listens actually really do matter. Like, being at the quantity of listens can really, really matter. Um, and also, I would say write to you know, whether it's writing to the ABC, writing to other big institutions and maybe like demanding, you know, demand more. Um, but yeah, listen and share and then critically reflect on what it is and don't write stupid letters yeah. to people. <laughs> or like, you know, I don't know. Um, I would say um, if you are like within this room and off, like the people in this room are probably audio producers or engaged within the audio space to some extent, I, I would say... and not to, I don't, know, I don't know why I'm prefacing this, it's the polite shit again, yeah, but like stay, stay in your lane, you know what I mean? Like know where you can excel in drawing voices out while also knowing that actually you might not be the right person to engage in this conversation, like the conversation that was had with Nayuka on that podcast. Like oh clearly those people were not the right people to be having this conversation. What was even the conversation? I don't even know what the conversation was about. Like clearly that it just is completely logical and I... I do a show um, on Triple R. I've just started in in Melbourne, and it's three. It's called hours. the Wrap. It's, it's on Wednesday rap. mornings between mm. nine a.m. to midday, ah. um, and it's pretty much three hours of content. I do three interviews every time, and I really, for me, I'm just focused on interviewing like black people, First Nations people, African and. Pacifica, right? And that is just, that is the intention of that. But even within that context, if I'm interviewing a First Nations person about um, like any issue, because some of it's issues based in art space, there is so, like, I can't even explain to you how much research and work and time goes into it. And then there, it gets to a point where I'm like, you know what, I might not be the right person to even be having this conversation. So I might get in touch with them and might organise something so they can have this conversation elsewhere or even ask them, be like, hey, this is what I want to go into. Where, where do you want to go in this conversation? You know what I mean? There are ways to do it while staying in your lane um, and while also centering the people that you want to lift up or whatever. Oh, the other thing, yeah, to that was really clever because you people are making shit. That's great. Well, like, don't... If you're, like... You know, sure, if you're in the political space, like, invite black people in because that's really important. But also, like, if you're into science or technology yeah. or, like, yep. astrology or other weird shit... Like, get black people in. We have many varied, in, you know, Absolutely. we're interested in the world. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's the other thing. Don't just get us in when it's, like, trauma porn, because that's boring. Yeah. yeah, and not just as, like, the African perspective of astrology or, like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> indigenous people and technology. It's like, no, like, what field do you engage with? Let me just ask you questions about that field. Um, yeah. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Chantel. Oh, hi there. Um, hi. Thank you so much, ladies. I'm uh, producing a podcast at the moment, which is very much about centering the stories of women of colour. But I'm very aware and very open and excited about the fact that probably a large part of my listenership will be um, people who are not part of that group. How do I balance? How do you recommend tips to balance absolutely welcoming people to sit with us 
without allowing them to center themselves in the conversation. Wow. That's like, that's the thing. It's that's like, how do you, yeah. Sorry, Mila. I'm just like, <laughs> ha ha, we don't. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> we, um, when we got that, <laughs> I'm terrible, sorry. When we got that complaint, we, uh, you know, we, we want to be able to talk about it back at these things from our perspective because our perspective and definitely in, and I think and I say Aboriginal women's perspective is really low on the agenda in this country mm. and um, so we actually did take her um, complaint seriously and we wanted to figure out a way of how to respond to her because you know her, her feelings were hurt um, <laughs> you know, like, what are we going to do if we... Can, it got mm. a, we got a little bit pound on. What are we going to do if we keep getting these complaints? Mm. You know, and how do we... And then we just decided, well, no. Why should we even accommodate it or yes. actually invite those voices in? Because it's not your space. It's ours. Mm. We're on our country. It's an Aboriginal radio station. We only get one hour a week to say what we want to say mm. and respond to racism and talk back to stuff. And so it's not a big deal. So, I yeah. just you know, we just don't. So yeah. that's... From our, we're able to do that. I mean, our, we give our poor CEO a lot of. I think he's losing his hair. He gets stressed a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, mm, mm. I think my um, my favourite podcast is the Read. Um, it's just deadly, and they don't tell, they they don't exist for white people. But I am prepared to bet that they have a lot of white listeners, and that's probably because they don't cater to white people. If you're a white person, you're a fly on the wall and you are witnessing something. It was like being at Solange last night, right? As black and brown people, we experienced her. White people were watching. And I think that's... Like, you don't have to exist for your white listeners, but they can be a fly on the wall. But that doesn't mean that you have to cater to them. And I think that's what The Read does really, really well and why it's so bloody good. So, yeah. Um, will you please thank our panellists, Angelina Hurley, Areed Chinua and Nayuka Gori. Thank you very much for coming. That was Namila Benson chatting with Areed Noor, Nayuka Gori and Angelina Hurley in their session Unpacking Blackness. Our podcast is produced by Selena Shannon and the music is composed by James Milsom. Subscribe to this podcast and sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at AudioCraftFest. Fest.